0: This is the fourth episode of Nevermind the Podcast, and we're talking about Van motherfucking Halen. Now, this episode might be, it's it might be all week long, because there's that much to talk about with this amazing institution at this point.
1: We're going to do an hour per song. <laughs> so this is going to be like 17 hours long for the cover of the first two albums.
0: But yeah, we're going to do uh, Van Halen 1. Um, super super important album came out in 1978. Um, I think it has been registered uh, diamond diamond record, which means it has sold over 10 million copies. It's definitely diamond a and fact. Uh, I don't even know if that just means worldwide. Sometimes it's like, oh, it went gold, and you know. In uh, Canada, which I think is only like a quarter of a million, as opposed to being gold here is like five hundred thousand. But this might be just in the state selling that many.
1: This has so this this has certifications um, by the region. So. In the United States it sold 10 million copies so that's it's certified diamond it just yeah. in just in US sales that's like 10 times platinum And then in the UK it was gold which is only 100,000 I mean not only 100,000 but to the UK standards it's 100,000 gold in Germany 250,000 gold in France 100,000 in Canada it sold 400,000 so according to the Canadian certification it's 4 times platinum so it's just Yeah, and who ridic- really cares what they think about anything? <laughs> and to have a debut album go diamond, which not that many people talk about the category of diamond. Everyone talks about platinum and gold. With two cover songs on it. So you yeah, had two cover songs on the mm-hmm. debut album. One, uh, one thing that... The, one of the cover songs is a blues song called Ice Cream Man, which... The I remember bringing this home, and I don't remember if I owned... I remember owning Van Halen 2 first. I bought the Van Halen 2 cassette. I bought that before I bought this. I bought it for you. or we'll you talk bought, to that later. Right. But I remember listening to this, and I think our turntable was in the dining room or in the living room, but we were sitting with Dad mm-hmm. listening to it, and he knew the Ice Cream Man song because he knew the John Brim, the original blues version of it, and you know, we're little kids listening to this... What's considered a heavy metal record. Mm-hmm. And there's this blues cover. And, you know, that's the. It, having our dad start to kick down, like, his knowledge of what he was into jazz and blues and stuff like that. And having that kind of like closing the gap or closing the loop of, like, our musical knowledge when we're just little kids. Like, having our dad know all that stuff was a huge, you know, influence to us. To me, cool. especially. It was just cool, too, like, bringing home a
0: record that one of your parents actually likes, too. Yeah. Normally, like, you know, like, like whatever, our mom liked the Beatles, and I'm sure her mom didn't like it, and vice versa. That's just kind of, like, the normal, like, the norm for, for youth, youth culture, and then whatever was hip to them is, like, antiquated by the time it's the next generation or two generations past. But having that, like that bond between you know this i don't know what was dad probably like in his maybe getting into his 40s which was way
1: different back then in like the 80s um well if i'm eight he's 38 78 um, he's 38 years. yeah 30.
0: but then in, we weren't listening to this at seven no no no, 19, no i'm just saying
1: in the context of when yeah, it came so out he was in yeah. his early 40s early 40s yeah
0: but um to like that's that's why an album goes diamond when it has just that mass appeal where it's not just necessarily like because I don't think it was necessarily like genre hopping. It's it's a rock and roll album, but it bridged that gap of, you know, older people, obviously the youth, um, you know, just had. it's it's just one of those records. It's just crazy. Um, the thing I remember was you had a, a a recorded copy of a tape for the longest time. Like that's the only way we had that album. This album? Yeah, because I remember everything
1: else was on tapes. So. This album, the tape that I got was Mark's brother Scott. Scott, yeah, Scott, Scott Gielfin mm-hmm. is the was the one who had the actual record of this. Yeah. And yeah. I taped his brother's tape mm-hmm. copy. Because
0: because <laughs> I remember in in 1980, that's when Women and Children first came out. And I think that was the first time I bought you anything for your birthday with my own money. And I went out and I bought Van Halen 2, which had already come out like in 1979, but because we were already such big fans and I bought the tape, but I bought myself Women and Children First. Um, and I remember, I remember we all decided like wrapped it up or whatever. Um, but it was, it was a tape, um, and I remember having women and children first and we went and we listened to it in uh, Remember, uh, our cousin said he'll used to live in um, Wilmington. Yeah, but didn't he live like in or he had his he had his own room, but then there was like a I don't know if it was his hangout spot in the trailer in the back or there was something They had a
1: they had a garage that had like a whole like hangout. That's yeah. where our uncle used to box and he had like a makeshift boxing ring and he had like Said he had a space where he had like posters and record player. Yeah.
0: Isn't that where you beat the shit out of one of our cousins? <laughs> they like forced. Well, him
1: to... <laughs> I was. They forced us to box each other because my uncle was a boxer. Hey, that's how that's how we get down. We're Mexican, you know. <laughs> boxing is part what of is our fucking heritage. I guess I don't know. So I'm getting the shit kicked out of me by my cousin. We're the same age, and I couldn't. I what I couldn't figure out how to tie the gloves, or my gloves weren't. Like, the gloves were on all awkward. So, I just threw the gloves off and just started hitting him bare-fisted and beat the crap out of him. I got in trouble because I didn't know, you know, that I was not supposed to... I thought I was supposed to beat him up. There we go. <laughs> Fucking Fight Club. Fight Club.
0: Back in the 80s.
1: It's 1980s Fight Club. Um,
0: no, but I, I remember... But, yeah, said We listened to that tape. I just got it. And I remember the... Um, side B. The song is... Uh, what is it? Lost Control. But it said Tora Tora in the beginning. And I remember wanting to go back to take it back to the store because I was like, this doesn't have all the songs on it. Cause it's Tora Tora,
1: a Tora 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 is the, yeah, the the opening track.
0: But it's just noise. It's just like, noise, yeah. It's like, not quite like Eruption, but it's just, you know, the guitar making noise. But I remember being so upset and being like, I got cheated out of a song. I didn't know that that was supposed to be a song like as a track list. And then that was when tapes and the Van Halen 2 tape, they always had that like extra space at the end of one side. I still don't really know what that means. Maybe that means it's so that you can play the tape at a faster
1: speed because that's higher quality. I always thought that it was because the sides didn't have the same running time. So if one side had, like, say, one side had a forty-minute running time, the other side had like a twenty-five-minute mm-hmm, running to make time. It even it's just they they had to use so much tape to get through one side that the yeah, other side would sense. always have extra tape. You know, they couldn't make it exact like a like you know yeah. like a CD or whatever. like a record. When a record ends, the the middle, the groove in the middle can be extra Big, space. Small, yeah, yeah, whatever. Same same concept, but. But um I was just I was just listening to all the demos mm-hmm. to both these records because they when they were Mammoth before they became Van Halen, mm-hmm. before I think Mammoth was before Dave before David Lee Ross. At one point, yeah. Because Eddie was the singer. Mm-hmm. Eddie played guitar and sang Eddie Van Halen. Eddie Van Halen. He was the singer. And guitar player in the band Mammoth, and they had a bass player named Mike. Some uh, before Michael Anthony it was Mark Stone or something like that. Yeah, um, and he's the one who added the the depth to the because it was Alex was actually Alex bought the guitar and Eddie bought the drums or the parents when they were still living in Holland. Yeah, well, their dad. Their dad is a big musician. Like I think he's a, a clarinet player. Clarinet player. He yeah. actually
0: plays on uh,
1: Diver Down. And he's Jan Van Halen.
0: He plays he plays some uh some clarinet on uh, I think it's Sweet uh, Big Bad Bill is Sweet William now. He plays on that record. But um so yeah, their their family was really musical and yeah, Alex Van Halen started out with the guitar, Eddie Van Halen had the drums and then the story was that I think Eddie Van Halen could figure out anything. He's just a musical like phenomenon. But I think Alex Van Halen just wasn't really figuring out the guitar or maybe the interest wasn't there. And then like the story is that like he... Because he's a little bit older than Eddie Van Halen. He would like go out on dates or whatever. And then whenever he would leave, Eddie Van Halen would grab his brother's guitar and just be playing, 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 playing. And then I think his brother, Alex Van Halen, would come home and see him playing his guitar and be like, Man, he's getting really good. He's like, let me let him have the guitar, and then he sat down behind the drum kit, and it was just like a perfect fit. But they, um, to me, I've been I've been thinking about it, you know, in the last week because we were talking about doing this record earlier, I think, in a couple weeks ago. But to me, like Van Halen, they're like, in a lot of ways, they 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 remind me of like Led Zeppelin as far as the paradigm of the band. Like you have. Not necessarily four superstars, but four stars. You have, obviously, Eddie Van Halen, who has enough talent for the whole show. You have his brother, Alex Van Halen, who, just with his snare drum sound, that signature, every every time you hear that, just really hollow, thick thud, like, you know it's a Ludwig snare drum, and you know it's Alex Van Halen. Not, not one other recording that I've ever heard in my life and mind you I haven't heard everything yet but I've never heard a sound like that. I've never heard a drummer, you know, and even like yeah, John Bonham, you know his sound, uh, you know like Keith Moon, you know his style, but I think Van Halen just between I mean there's a lot of elements like Michael Anthony, the way he sings, that is just a such a sonically like unique
1: Piece of the puzzle that made Van Halen what it was. Alex, I, he to me he tied it all in together. Like if you yeah. didn't have Michael Anthony, I, I as as amazing as Eddie Van Halen is on the guitar. I mean he's like beyond a virtuoso on the guitar. But if you didn't have that Michael Anthony balance, the 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 low end. He has that like because when I was listening to like the demos and I was like, this is a very it's a very it's a heavy metal or hard rock. It's not necessarily just straight up rock and roll. It's, it's like proto metal. Yeah, it's like got that metalness coming out of it. But there's a lot of funk in this. There's a lot of like what I'm hearing in even if they're not necessarily taking the cues from it, but like a lot of Dave's influence in the sense of like he's got that like scatting kind of like vaudeville kind ofness to him he's i mean not in a silly way but he he you know it came out later when he was doing his solo stuff he had that very like like he did that just the gigolo song and and who is it steve Vai, who came on with him afterwards did a lot of that like talking guitar you know a lot of the a lot of the parliament funkadelic type mm-hmm. edge to it But in the first record, in the first Van Halen record, you're like, you know, there's a lot of Led Zeppelin, definitely. There's, like, I hear Black Dog, A Whole of Love, in the sense of, like, how, like, dramatic and theatrical some of the songs are. And Dave's got that with all the... He's not really scatting yet, but he's doing a lot of ad-lib screams and stuff over the music. Mm -hmm. And then you've got Michael Anthony with that just low end and, and Alex's drumming where I'm hearing a lot of funk. I'm hearing, like, Earth, Wind & Fire, Ohio Players. And I don't mean, mm-hmm. like, in the sense of, like, them copying that music, mm-hmm. but the way the music's put together, like, the sexualization of a lot of the songs, like, Dave's talking to a girl in a song. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of that going on. You know, the the Ohio Players, Isaac Hayes, like, a lot of that, that's Larry Graham, the you know, the Graham Central Station. There's a lot of that element to this. But then, when you have Eddie... He's just like an alien to this. Like he's coming in on over the top and just adding a completely different element to this so that it's, that's where the heavy metal or proto metal, you know, I don't even, I don't understand what proto metal is, but heavy metal before like okay. the things that lead to, right. So his, his distinct guitar, like if, if this, if this album existed, you know, without any other music that, that. You know, like, especially in our brain at the time, like, I had heard Funkadelic, I had heard Zap, I had heard that kind of music, but I never associated it with it. I never thought, like, I always thought this was just itself. Like, this was just its own sound. At You know, at, at that age that I discovered this band, mm-hmm. this was just like, wow, what is this? And I remember wanting to, emu- I, we used to emulate, these. you had a guitar... <laughs> With the Eddie Van Halen uh, the stripes, yeah. stripes and all that, and we used to but yeah I was obsessed. And we used to have—we used to turn our tech tennis rackets upside down and pretend they were guitars, and do our own little, you know, mocked concerts to this to this band, like obsessed with this band. But as I as I go back and as I discovered more music and more music, I'm like, these guys had a lot. Like Led Zeppelin had a lot of the blues influence, and I feel like these guys took that cue. They took that Led Zeppelin and the last, the last two Aussie Black Sabbath records, the Technical Ecstasy and the Never Say Never Say Die. Never Say Die. A lot of the elements on that record, with adding this funk element to create this, to create this, you know, work. Mm-hmm. And the, you know, even the, even their cover of the Kinks, uh, "You Really Got Me," it's. It's like over sexualized and it's it has more of a low a low end to it. Like the you know what I mean? Like I don't know if I'm explaining it correctly, but no, just there's just that like
0: there's a, they, just a heavy bottom on it.
1: Yeah, they well, just they developed this like they pulled this they pulled this stuff out of funk where it's not funk music, but there's elements of it that create this like really, really this bigger depth of what it's the heavy dance-able. metal is. and it's like, that's the thing with like hard rock and heavy
0: metal. There wasn't anything that's really danceable. This album has, you know, like even with the Van Halen 2, I'm trying to think of the song, um, uh, bottoms up. Uh, it's, it's the one that's like, oh, yeah, it's yeah, like, yeah. it's all funked out, but then you have to think about the context too. Like this came out in 1978. Disco. disco was still <laughs> huge. Yeah. Um that's another reason to me why it kind of just had that like and it's it's weird because it's not a crossover album. I don't think when no. I think of a Van Halen fan, I'm not going to be like, "Oh, this some but but that I'm I'm going to I'm going to see like a certain archetype of a of a fan." But that doesn't mean that like every hip-hop DJ knows Van Halen. Every, you know, fucking how can you like they're just undeniable? It's like it's like Michael Jackson Thriller. Like you just cannot but then again, like the way Michael Jackson Thriller isn't a crossover album either. It's got mass appeal. It's like, how do you do that? So it's weird. It's like it's it's almost like it's an amalgamation of this melting pot of all these things, but yet they sound fresh and original. Like they like it's like, where did they come from? To me. It's like, and it, it's it's kind of directly because the Kinks. I mean, from their first album to their fifth album, as yeah. the core with David Lee Roth, the Van Halen brothers, and Mike Anthony, like Diver Down has two Kinks covers. This has a Kinks cover on it, so it's like, or I'm sorry, I don't I don't think Diver Down
1: Diver Down has just another Kinks cover. Diver Down has like four um, covers. It's only. like half a cover album. Yeah, it's got but, it has Happy Trails, Dancing I mean? in the Street, Oh Pretty Woman, and That's the Kinks song. Where have all the good Where times have all the gone? good times gone? So there's like five but, cover songs. To me it's like they're
0: to think of okay, well how did Van Halen sound the way they turned into their sound? It's like they sound like the Kinks amplified even without them directly covering the kinks to me that's what i hear i hear like just so there's like a rock and roll there's like
1: a groove to the kinks for that 60s rock sound
0: well it's because it's the riffs you know right it's like it's like the way that you hear like whole lot of love by led zeppelin it's like that song and a lot of led zeppelin's classic songs like heartbreaker whole lot of love it's just riffs Mm. you know and like The Kinks are a really riff oriented band. So, like Van Halen, you know, they're playing bars and backyard parties in Pasadena, uh, probably even out here, you know, back then in the 70s, early 70s, forming their sound, getting an audience, becoming a phenomenon even before they've had all the pieces together because they had Eddie Van Halen and just his attraction, his star power that he already had. But it's like, They probably got a lot of that disco and funk influence from the other bands they were playing with, like the contemporaries. Because I'm sure back then there was a lot of bands that were like figuring out their sound and bar bands that were just always going to be bar bands that were playing either top forty. And I mean, think about it, top forty. What was top forty back then? Disco. We're probably playing like Casey and the Sunshine Band and this, that, and the other. You know, um, but um, the. I just lost my train of thought. Um, so well, let me just go back. I'll, I'll get back to that. But the way that I was comparing them to like Led Zeppelin, where you have David Lee Roth, who is kind of like a Robert Plant. He's the front man. He's really extroverted. He even goes way above and beyond uh, the, the show, you know, because Robert Plant, he was just a great singer. I've seen. I haven't seen everything by them, but a lot of the stuff I've seen, like he's not, like he's just all about making the cool pose and just singing. David Lee Roth is kind of like Mick Jagger meets Robert
1: Plant, who borrowed Earth, Wind, and Fire's clothes.
0: But yeah, kind of. <laughs> and again, it's the you know it's the seventies. Yeah. everyone's fucking doing blow and like listening to disco. But there is one direct influence that he actually got criticized for. But then later got like a free pass. So there was this band called Black Oak Arkansas, who were contemporaries that played with Sabbath and they played with Journey and Riot. Was his
1: name Eddie too? No. No, it
0: was Jim Dandy. So Jim it, Dandy. So Black Oak Arkansas, they do the only song I know by them is that Jim Dandy to the risk. They're total southern rock. Like yeah. they make Leonard Skynyrd look like, you know, like Like that, like that they came from fucking, uh, sixties flower power, uh, San Francisco. Yeah. And it's funny because, you know, in my collection, like I went through a big phase when I was a young teenager buying classic rock because, you know, that's what you do. And I remember I'd always see Black Oak, Arkansas and I'm like, that kind of sounds like a cool name. And there was certain bands that I was afraid was meaning like I don't know if I want to buy Kansas records, which I found out later. Early Kansas, early REO Speedwagon, that's some good like proto metal, like mm-hmm. heavy rock and roll before they turned into what they turned into. Whatever, but Black Oak Arkansas, I'm glad I never bought their <laughs> records because I'm, I'm serious. <laughs> like unless I'm gonna like put some Daisy Dukes on and watch fucking you know reruns of Dukes Dukes a Hazard, yeah, and just put a Confederate flag up in my fucking wall, I'm not listening to that band. But anyways, Jim Dandy, because they played... Van Halen was like... Once they got all the pieces of the puzzle together and they started playing... You uh, mean the Michael Anthony, David Lee Roth the, puzzle? Van Halen, yeah. yeah. Well, to we me, that's him. Van Halen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sammy Hagar could stay in fucking Cabo San Lucas or whatever the fuck he's doing where he puts <laughs> sand in his house. Like, I'm sorry. I don't like any of that shit. <laughs> I can't drive 55, you know, whatever. Um Montrose, not a big fan. Anyways. Um, so Jim Danny was like, Man, this guy's stealing my shtick. Like he's you know, he was like kind of accusing him. But then Didn't they play with didn't oh, they? Yeah, open? They, they, yeah. they played with everybody. Yeah. But then he gave it up to him, and was like, Man, he's doing it better than me. It's almost mm. like when when Pete Townsend was like someone, I think it was Eric Clapton and Pete Townsend had a discussion about Jimi Hendrix because when he came out on the scene, uh, they were afraid because they were like, man, this guy's going to fucking put us out of jobs. And then he's like, man, aren't you like, like he's gonna stealing your shtick with the feedback and everything. And he's like, no, he's doing what I thought I was trying to right, make yeah. up. So that's kind of where like David Lee Roth got that, like, you know, that free, that hall pass or whatever. But again, like. You, I, I see Led Zeppelin you know you have Jimmy page who's who's amazing you have John Bonham superstar drummer you got John Paul Jones who has will probably never get the credit he deserves but he's just you, you can't fucking he's amazing and then you have Robert plant you know like the like early like like Mick Jagger whatever he's the rock star uh like mold of a a frontman. But Robert Plant is like that for like heavy metal where it's different, you know? Yeah. Um, but because of the high pitch singing... This could be Robert Plant. That photo. Yeah. <laughs> all these were taken... All the pictures from Van Halen 1 supposedly were taken at the whiskey too because they were playing... Like they were playing at the... Once they got signed and once Warner Brothers... Uh, Ted Templeman's at the producer. Ted Templeton? Templeton. So, no, sorry, sorry. Templeman? Ted Templeman. Yeah, they found him at
1: at the uh, I think they saw him at the Whiskey or the Starwood. And Ted Templeman was Harper's Bazaar. He was part of the band Harper's Bazaar. Mm. The you know the feeling groovy song. Mm. That's where his that's where he came from.
0: But they were just tearing up the scene, you know, all over LA. Um and then um but no, so so basically again, like Alex Van Halen maybe not the same like attention that like a john bonham got but still integral like these four individuals that made up van halen are all superstars and michael anthony to me i always thought it was eddie van halen that sang the backup vocals to mm. me that's the sound that's integral to van halen is that high-pitched backup vocal like i never knew it was from him i mean he looks like a fucking plumber up there <laughs> hanging
1: out with rock stars is weird he looks like a handyman that somebody threw the base on him, said, "Hey, just stand in this photo." And, yeah, like you know, he looked like he was outside fixing the van before. In, even in the videos, he does not look wearing like he belongs. But you know what's wearing... funny? He's that's Sammy Hagar's homeboy. Like they're oh, like yeah. super tight homeboys. Oh, of so they've known Sammy Hagar since this since yeah. back in the day. Yeah.
0: Well, yeah, he was playing with Montrose, like yeah, yeah, with Ronnie Montrose, and but anyways. Um, the the thing, so so yeah, you get like, like Jimmy Page, like, you know, he is the virtuoso. But when you compare to me, like, I don't think Jimmy Page is guitar solos. Like, I think they kind of suck. Um, I don't think he's a great guitar soloist. Eddie Van Halen took guitar solos. Like, I think that guitar solos became what they were everything after him. Maybe that's not for the best because, like, you know, you think of like a, like a Ingvay Momsting, like, that's to me, I don't, I don't know, I don't want to listen to that stuff.
1: Steve Vibe, Ingvay Momsting. Yeah, and they're all uh, trying to be. What was that guy in Racer X? I don't know. Like, he had to, like, his fingering was so fast, he had to use a drill with all the Yeah, and that's ridiculous. (laughs) I mean, come on, that's stupid. I can't remember his name. Paul, something, maybe. I can't remember his name. Anyway, but, um, but but, the, the. the thing about them too, kind
0: of going back to like Alex Van Halen's drum sound, to me, like Eddie Van Halen, there's two things. Technique and actually his sound. Like no guitar ever sounded like that before, you know? Right. And well, they're fully custom too. That's the crazy thing. He but it's he like didn't what was buy. he doing in his in his like bedroom before yeah. they had money, before when they were playing these backyard parties. I think he stood out probably back then because of his playing, but also because the the way it sounded. Yeah. And to me, I'm thinking about, like, because apparently he's a big Eric Clapton fan, which makes sense technically. Because, like, I, I'm not a big Eric Clapton fan. I like, you know, I like Cream. I like uh,
1: Derek a lot of the most. stuff
0: that he's done. Blind Faith, you know, but... To me like when I hear Eric Clapton like really playing it just sounds so technical and it's kind of soulless um as opposed to like a Peter Green or a Jimi Hendrix that's like cuz Jimi Hendrix cr- had a sound too but he was also like playing like you could feel like he's giving you he's putting his his life on the line every time he plays
1: Yeah I mean and how Jimmy Eddie Eddie is a is a Jimmy's Jimi Hendrix style, Eddie Van Halen, but is he in wasn't... The, is in the same for for my you know for what I hear on people like you know I'm talking like when you listen to Eddie Hazel when you listen to all the different you know uh, what's his name Yardbirds, uh, Jeff Beck, mm. yeah all Jeff the, Beck's another big one. All the the superstar guitar players like there's Jimmy and then there's everybody else. Eddie is the second in line for mm-hmm. me when it comes to what he, technical ability and the amount of emotions that he can stir up in you like when we went to go see him at the at the staples center mm-hmm. and he i'd never seen any guitar player do this before he was literally playing a piano piece on the guitar mm-hmm. and it sounded like a piano it was insane I' i was like blown away 25 years later because this was their tour when they played with his son uh wolfgang wolfgang uh yeah and that show was fucking amazing and we were like we you know we got free tickets last minute we were on our way somewhere we flipped a bitch went straight to the staples center got to see this amazing show and this was a reunion tour with with david lee roth so it was like the real van halen with the exception of michael anthony's absence but wolfgang came in played the bass I don't know who did the backup vocals on that. He probably did. Yeah. Yeah, he did great too. Um, But just even still, even after all these years, it's like his ability to just amaze you. And he wasn't, he was doing something completely on a different level even now. Like the guy is just a god. And he's, and like by him being
0: like an Eric Clapton fan and not necessarily a Jimi Hendrix fan, it's that like technician approach. And sound, but another another thing that there was a I don't know if it's even a I don't know if he was influenced by it, but there's definitely a lineage where like finger tapping because he's kind of like credited for creating that. But there was someone that did it before him, which is um, Steve Hackett from Genesis,
1: early seventies. And you're talking about where they're holding (laughs) down the yeah. on the fret and on the neck, putting their fingers on, on the, the fret? neck, they're yeah. Just
0: floating around, and then they just take their finger, right, and tap out the notes. Because when you're doing that, whatever, whatever, whatever your finger position is on the neck, you got three fingers or four. You can get, and you pretty much stay in one spot, and you're, you know, moving them around. You get those sounds, and then when you're tapping your finger on the strings at different parts of the neck, that's how you change the gotcha, sound. Gotcha, gotcha. But Steve Hackett was doing that. With Genesis in early seventies, like maybe seventy
1: two, seventy three. You know, what's um, funny is their original name of their band was Genesis. Yeah, and then they ch- they found out so about European Genesis they and they might, changed it to Man. I mean,
0: he it's and it seems like he probably was listening to like John McLaughlin and you know because that's that They're, these are guitarists John are, McLaughlin is that the Mahavishnu, Mahavishnu. True yeah. yeah and um and also like King Crimson like Robert Fripp. So like Robert Fripp, John McLaughlin... And probably
1: Santana, because Santana... He has that
0: kind of funky, yeah. But like getting into like that prog music guitar approach, it's all about technique and it's about sound. Like you listen to Steve Hackett with early Genesis and his guitar doesn't even sound like a guitar. And the funny thing is to me that I always thought of between like Robert Fripp and Steve Hackett, which they got a lot of flack for being like, oh, they're pretentious those guys used to play sitting down all the time and it was because they were doing so much like technical stuff that it was easier for them so mm. a lot of people looked at that as like this is so pretentious where they're playing a rock concert and the guitar players having a seat and it's kind of funny because they were just like fuck you like you don't have to be here but yeah. if you're going to listen to if you want us to blow your minds like we're gonna i mean you listen to early king crimson and it's you know from a musician's point maybe you could you could understand it. I think that it touched a lot of people. Otherwise, they wouldn't have
1: sold tons of records. I feel like King Crimson is is a band that mu- mostly musicians listen to. Yeah, that's like mean, a band for musicians.
0: Yeah, because you either you either going to get it or you're not. But yeah. I mean, for me, as trying to listen to them objectively, like sometimes, and it's not even the virtuosity; it's just the the feelings that they conjure up move me. And that's when I hear Van Halen. Like, when you listen to records and you get goosebumps every time you hear certain songs, that's saying something. That's a power that's there. And it had to do with the chemistry. It has to do... there. I'm sure there's a biological sonic thing that's happening, you know? Uh, but... I that's, think That's that, what that
1: book is all about. Which one? That book on top.
0: Oh. It's crazy, though. Like, um, to me, it's like the they were a band that was like i mean the the playing you can't deny it they fucking are just giants but it's like they actually were paying attention to the way they sounded too and apparently this first record is like a lot of first records where it was just get them in the studio record everything you got yeah you know like you were listening to those demos i've heard some of those demos before and their
1: demos are kind of the first three albums they're the first three, and there was a couple. I don't know if I was looking, if I was misreading when I was listening to the demos and the titles of the songs, but a couple of the songs were titled differently, and you're like, "Wait, that's this song," <laughs> but it was the lyrics to another. It was like two Dying songs split in one. Yeah, and you know when you're, I didn't hear, on none of the demos didn't have any of the original cover, uh, you know, practice stuff, but I heard that they were playing you know, they were rehearsing to the Kinks. They were, they were playing Kink songs.
0: Well, I think they, I and think they were playing songs. and maybe even with David Lee Roth for a while, they were doing, they were like a cover band kind of. And then sneaking Probably, yeah. in their original material.
1: Well, that's what, that's what they said. Um, that's what, when they played the shows at the Whiskey, they, the, according to like one of the, I watched a little like background documentary on them uh-huh. and it was like, they did a two-hour set or a one- to two-hour set, and it was cover, 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 original, cover, 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 yeah. original. And that was like everyone came to see Eddie. Yeah. Well, yeah. It didn't matter if they were playing covers or not. It was, it was Eddie. All right. So, yeah. they, star they with, <clears throat> The star with Gazzari's.
0: I don't, I don't think Gazzari's
1: was around yet. Yeah. He was. Bill Gazzari was because he was in the – they showed a picture of them with him.
0: Oh really? Yeah, it was okay. a picture
1: of Gazari. You know, he had that that like that mobster hat, hat and yeah. the, the scarf. He always had that mobster look. Um, but yeah, they played Gazzari's, um I had a flyer. I had a picture of a flyer, and I and I, I think it was it was funny because of this of the uh, the bands that were playing with them. But I can't um, I can't remember right now. I got to pull it up. Well, it's funny. You know, what's funny is that
0: band. Hello. That band, um, Secret City, They their van used to be down our street all the time. I think they were like a local band. Um, they used to play with all those bands back then with like Riot and like Motley Crue, uh, Van Halen, like that whole like kind of like the beginning of the glam scene uh, in L.A., which I think that's kind of like what Van Halen started. This is the flyer. Oh, yeah. I've th- seen a bunch of those, too. They-
1: th- three bands, $3, 50 cents off with the flyer at the Pasadena Center Exhibit Hall. Bands, Headwinds, and Eulogy. And I remember Eulogy. I remember seeing them, their name around later on when I started going to shows, but I don't remember who they were. But um, Secret City, Secret City 2020, and, oh, God, that was one more band. They were friends with our neighbor.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, Tristan, yeah,
1: and I went to see. That was probably technically one of the very first times I'd ever seen live music that wasn't a mariachi band at a Mexican wedding. Mm-hmm. Was Secret City in 2020 at the Gar High School um, Gymnasium?
0: Yeah, in 2020, they're like a power pop band. Yeah, they put out records, and <clears throat> but I can't, I can't find anything about Secret City. But I'd always remember seeing that band with their like logo and it looked cool and it's just that it sounds like it's a cool name like if anything someone should start a band now and call it that because it's the return of secret they city They never did anything with it. it's a
1: cool <laughs> name but they back then they even he, had the custom back fan wheel cover that said secret yeah, City. yeah it was awesome yeah like i lo- i used to look at that and just be
0: like man that's those are like the coolest people fucking on this on the block um but no, when they were doing all those shows, that's when you know they started getting, had people sniffing around and probably around the time where they were getting their deal with the Warner Brothers. But um, so I guess Gene Simmons saw them either at the Whiskey or the Starwood and was impressed because how can you not be? And at this point, this is where they're kind of making that metamorphosis of... Now they're just playing all their original material, right? With the uh, well, you know, yeah, they're still doing Kinks covers and and this, that, and the other. But um, so he saw them and he wanted to, you know, try to get them a deal. This is in like, God, when was it? Maybe like seventy seven. Like you know? I think
1: it was around seventy seven because they started in seventy four.
0: Yeah, but they were like high school. Bands yeah, high school the, band. But then, so he saw them and he wanted to get them a deal. He actually made some demos
1: uh, with them. The Warner Brothers demos. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And the funny thing is, and they exist, it just came out, like, I think last year on Gene Simmons' vault. It's, like, his box set where it's, like, all of his demos that he's done for Kiss or whatever. But there's demos of, I think, two or three songs from the Love Gun album with Eddie Van Halen and Alex Van Halen playing. Oh. And I listen to them and it's crazy because these, to me, these are classic KISS songs where I've heard them on Love Gun for my whole life. And then listening to them with these guys playing, it's a totally different feel because mm-hmm. it's like, man, whatever. Ace Rayleigh I think, is a great guitar player. A lot of people think that but he's they not just Eddie think that him. KISS sucks anyways. <laughs> but the approach, it's like, yeah, it's like he's not Eddie. It's crazy. But he, I guess Gene Simmons wanted them to change their name to Daddy Long Legs. And I don't know who it was, but someone—it might have been their old bass player, the guy before Michael Anthony—to was the one to convince them, like you guys should just name the. No, band it was David
1: Lee Roth. Van, H- oh, it was, yeah. It was David Lee Roth. He was like, he was trying to come up with the new name because Mammoth just wasn't working, and I think they might have had one more name after Mammoth. It was like Genesis then Mammoth, and I can't remember the one before. And he just said, "Dude." Just use your last name. Like, yeah, it, it sounds it good. It sounds great. It, <laughs> it looks like, great. He's like, like, it's your name. It the sounds... logo they had
0: to. Like, I remember, like, drawing that on my book covers, you know. Like, you know when you're in school and you get, I, like, uh, I was laughing. get, what's it called? The brown paper PT bag. folders? No, you get brown paper bags. Oh, book covers. And you would put them on your yeah. textbooks. And then it was just this blank canvas. That was the best thing between going back to school and getting, like, your new kicks and a little bit of new gear. It was all about, man, I just can't wait to get my new textbooks because I just want to put covers on them and draw
1: fucking Lucy, bands. Lucy and Adri taught us that.
0: That was the shit. The,
1: the b- brown paper mm-hmm. grocery bag covers. I remember that.
0: Yeah, and then you're like going to school and you're just like.
1: But you know what I was laughing you. at the other day because when we were talking about doing this, this band for this episode is that even now, to this day, I'm 48 fucking years old. I work in television production and we use walkie-talkies. And to identify your walkie-talkie, people put, like, white camera tape on it, and then you write your name on it. I always use the Van Halen V with the... Oh, yeah, with the little wings. with the wings. To this day, I still do. I spell Vasquez with that Van Halen V. I'm, Mm -hmm. like, a little kid still. I remember, too, on on the sides, like, the white
0: walls of Vans. Yeah. And you would, like, draw the Van Halen, like... The logo, yeah.
1: It was just a... I mean, they're a phenomenon, like... That the Van Halen logo and the surfer stoner S is like the classic thing you would etch into a fucking lunch table. What's
0: crazy is it's it's so California. Yeah. Like it's so everything about like and not even not even limiting it to it to say Los Angeles, just to say California. Because I mean and whatever, like I think David Lee Roth and Michael Anthony are from the Midwest. Um, I know David Lee Roth's dad. I think he's Indiana. Yeah. His dad was yeah. like some famous or some really high-profiled... Uh, Actor? Surgeon no. or dentist? Dentist. But when they moved out here dentist. to Pasadena, they probably lived in San Marino
1: or he South lived, Pass. Like, he lived in San Marino. So they, he was a rich kid. He was a rich kid. His dad was a, was a dentist to the stars or something like that. Yeah. And yeah, they actually lived in San Marino... Uh, the boy, the brothers, the Van Halen brothers lived in Pasadena proper. And then Michael Anthony, Montrose, or something like that. He yeah, went to a different high school, I Monrovia.
0: think. Monrovia. All out here. Yeah, all out here. And the thing that's crazy is they were all playing in. They were all the stars of their little bands. And then they just started. Those scenes started coming together. And that's how they found out about each other. And then we're just like, you know, that's what you do. You just deduce, you know, you start playing in bands. And then you're just like. Yeah, it's cool. Maybe maybe the bass player is good for the band because he's the one that has the van and he shows up on time. And then after a while though, you're just like you realize like, man, something's holding us back. We don't know what it is. Check this guy out. And then thank God that they did that because they all could have been playing nice and like, but then David Lee Roth would have never have met them and probably never would have turned into the star that he is.
1: If bands would have played nice, I would have been in a band. Because I was the bass player holding people back big time.
0: <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, I mean, sometimes they you know, Marlon
1: Jackson, you know,
0: they yeah. can't hit his fucking steps. So you, you know take him
1: out and you get Randy. You know what's funny is when we went to the Dodger game this week, Gene Simmons was the, the national anthem singer. How was that sound? <laughs> he brought on the Army. He brought on people from the service to sing with him, so you could drown him out. And his his emphasis on the nose was so bad. See, and I <laughs> but love, it was hilarious. I to love see him Kiss there. to death, but
0: <laughs> it's also the kiss of death to be a fan because oh, I just hate myself. Whatever, whatever. I can't get into that. It's a whole other podcast. <sighs> um, he needs to stop. And he with needs. that fake lady wig, it looks like he has a piece of burnt bread stuck on his head. In, like, a U-shape. He needs to just stop. It's all, And he looks flammable. You know he's flammable, too. Oh. <laughs> flammable. He, that motherfucker's lucky he doesn't smoke. He is flammable. Oh. Oh,
1: God. Around 4th
0: of July, they just got firemen <laughs> fucking at all... At <laughs> all times around him.
1: Uh, this motherfucker. I, I might think I think bust. he should have had permanent makeup done and just been the demon. Because he looks better as the demon than his normal self.
0: Like he's I know. <laughs> just and even and he's all fat and like, <sighs> he just looks greasy. <laughs> anyway Anyway, back to Van Halen. So let's let's talk about um I have the list right here. So I mean Running with the Devil, Eruption, You Really Got Me, Ain't Talking About Love, already right there. This is just the first side and it's just like, hit, hit, hit. I mean, with with the exception of Eruption, not that it's not a hit because it's not really a song, but that's, that, just that song already has turned on so many people to either music or appreciation for a completely different type of musicality. Like, it's it's Bef- it's crazy
1: before erupt before this album. Did anybody else have a, a track on their album that was? Be- I'm not. I'm talking about before this album because afterwards there was some tracks like I know Randy Rhodes did some solo guitar you mean guitar solos. Yeah, I mean like eruption is a track mm-hmm. on a fucking album and it's just a guitar solo intro. Yeah, but I have to think like I know. I know Laguna Sunrise was on a Black Sabbath record, but it's not necessarily a guitar solo. It's just like instrumentation. Well, you
0: know, on on Van Halen, on uh, Van Halen, uh, Black Sabbath Volume Four, there's a song called FX, and is it just it's a just it's just no, it's not even a solo, but it's just noise, Ooh. and that's only because those motherfuckers were smoking hash and doing blow. <laughs> but it's kind of a crazy track because, I mean, but at that point they were already like. A band, they were established. Backstabbers here to stay, and that song is just little noises. So in a way, it's kind of like, but you know what I mean, sonically.
1: But like other bands have put out instrumentals, but this is literally just guitar, just Eddie ripping the shit out of. There's got to be some prog rock stuff, like maybe Camel or Gentle Giant. But I just love that it's like it is. It's a track.
0: (laughs) But going back, and then you got on side two. Jamie's Crying, Atomic Punk, Little Dreamer, you know. I'm not trying to discount the other songs because I don't think there's really any filler on fire. But it's like you got Jamie's Crying,
1: that's a hit. Isn't Little, Jamie's Crying? Dreamer, the, that's a hit. Isn't Jamie's Crying the intro to Tone Loke? I don't know
0: if that's in there. It might be something.
1: It's a Tone Loke song that sampled Jamie's Wild Crying. Thing. The, just the beginning, just a the, the opening. Oh, it could be, yeah, yeah. That's Jamie's crying, yeah.
0: Ain't talking about live love hit. Uh, their cover of "You Really Got Me" hit, whether you like is it or the, not. Is this "Running the... with the Devil." It's like they're these. Mm-hmm. The thing too, it's like what is, and it's I don't know. It, it has to do with their approach musically, like how you're talking about how they have like a like a funk approach where you know it's definitely this this song's got it's weird because it has 70s roots but it's it doesn't feel that dated and i think that has to do
1: with the production because it's it's a beautiful sounding album i don't i think that it sounded that this is what i was trying to go trying to get to and when i first started talking about there like what i was hearing in the influences is like as far as i was hearing like the the funk, like when you listen to some funk records, you listen to like the Ohio players. You listen to like Fire, that sounds like it's in the seventies. You listen oh, yeah. to uh, the what's that Stevie Wonder song about the city, the living in the city, the, the living in the city, like special. that. You can just picture like what a movie would look like if it was made that day that he yeah, made it looks that record. Grainy, it's very like it, it brings, it makes you feel a certain way, like and and that just like you know dark gray skies. It's like, it's, it's very 70s. It has this very like locked in feel. Yeah. But when you have this album, I was, what I was saying is they were pulling out some of the elements of those funk, like even the timing of some stuff, like when Anthony, you know, when Michael Anthony is like the way he times some of his bottom drops on the bass, it sounds very reminiscent of a funk record, but this sounded super futuristic. It sounded... Yeah, like It doesn't even sound like it's from the 80s. Yeah, it sounded like what... This is a brand new sound. So that was one of the things that really kind of like made me, you know... I didn't even backtrack back then, but when dad recognized the Ice Cream Man as a blues song back, you know, I don't know if it was a 50s song or a 60s song, but... And then I was just like, wait, what are you talking about? Like, and I didn't know the kink song either. Mm. I didn't know you really got me was a kink song until maybe a year or two later. Mm. So it was all brand new futuristic sounds to me. It was very, it opened up this like, what is this? You know, what is this like the guitar? And I was already aware of like Judas Priest. I was already aware of like the heavy... Sounding stuff, like yeah. obviously, like Led Zeppelin and like those kinds of bands, but they just made this. They just took this, these elements of everything that was like you know influencing them, and they just created something that didn't. You couldn't really say any of this sounded like anything, even with a cover song.
0: Yeah, I know. You they pulled off being really <laughs> fresh and like super authentic because that's the other thing. Like great production is really necessary for albums that sell fucking over 10 million copies. But the things that you can't create in the studio is how the band is actually going to play together to begin with. And I think that, I don't think that this album was like, oh, um, Eddie Van Halen benefited from being in the studio to create these sounds. I think that motherfucker already sounded like that. And these guys were just lucky enough to capture it and turn it into what it turned into. But also, you got to think about, you know, you can have, like, on an instrument, whether it's acoustic or electric, meaning acoustic, like drums, you can manipulate the way that it gets uh, recorded. Well, even Tough the room you're in. things to do. Well, yeah. But the other element that's in this is the way David Lee Roth sings. Mm-hmm. Like, that is powerful. Like, it doesn't... His approach to the songs super musical and it's not like you know he doesn't have effects maybe there's some reverb this that and the other on his voice maybe they put a great mic but it's like you know what you could have the best microphone you can have the best effects producers but if you don't have a good guy singing behind that microphone in the first place doesn't matter what you do so again it was just all these like Like, super... Like, you know how people are obsessed with, like, superfoods? And they're looking for, oh, my God, I need to get a a juice that has all the best superfoods. Like, they're like a fucking superfoods, like, you know, concoction that was just, like, that just exploded. And they really did take off right out the gate. As soon as that record came out, they were on every big tour and fucking just blowing everybody off the stage. Like, they played with Black Sabbath on the Never Say Die Tour. Yeah. And even Black Sabbath was, like, they were afraid. And there's a quote that Ozzy said, um, and it had to do with Kiss, too, a little bit. But he was, like, saying that you know your time has come when you're afraid of the opening band being better than you, even if you're a legend. And that's when you're no longer, like, a lion on the fucking block. And you have to fucking you got yeah, to give it up. You think he he said something like they're killing us every night. Yeah, and <laughs> and he's the headliner. <laughs> and you see those like I I I know that they exist. There's some of those shows like but you like I one of my favorite videos um is like Black Sabbath live on that tour at the Hammersmith Odeon and they're just annihilating. They're fucking amazing. They hate themselves at that point. They're not even happy. Is that the one where he's got the white jacket with the fringe or the yeah. white well, shirt? That's a lot the the fr- of them. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, that one. And um it's with the big Never Say Die like the flight guy behind them on the oh, stage. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The um, the, the
1: pilots with the goggles. And they're killing on. it,
0: but it's like how, what was Van Halen doing if they killed them? Right. Like, and then you see, like, by the time they get to, like, Fair Warning, because there's good footage of Fair Warning, their to tour, that's when, he, remember you had that poster where it's David Lee Roth with those big fucking fuzzy boots on, like, looking like, like, at that point, they, he had just lost his goddamn mind. And he's like, whatever, I'm going to do
1: whatever the fuck I want. But see, that's, he, he definitely paid attention to, he took a. If just looking at him, just looking at what he looked like, he took all his cues from the funk era. He
0: looked like Tina Turner,
1: right? But he or somebody in Parliament. Parliament, they had guys in there oh, with yeah. like diapers uh, and shit. diapers and f- what do you call it? stuffed animal pants? Yeah, like Earth, Wind, and Fire. They're all
0: doing crazy shit. You know,
1: a, a leotard that was split open so your whole entire chest is exposed, and that's what he wore. He wore these outfits, but there was
0: probably like, I bet you their audience was just all like. Metalheads heads, or just it was all know, proto, yeah. It was all Hessian audience, but when you listen, and even like, so like talking about fair warning, like um, Mean Streets, that opens up with kind of a the, the intro of it is guitar sounds, and that again, that guitar it sounds like a fucking runaway train, and it's just it's insane, it's totally insane. Um, but also like the sounds that he gets on side two, Unchained, like that's one of my favorite. Songs from Van Halen that I think is heavier than fucking a lot of the shit that came out after it. Um, Scorpions. Like, I go back and I listen to the Scorpions now and it's like, it's not that fucking heavy. Even Judas Priest, it's like, they're just rock and roll but they are wearing spikes and shit. And, you know. Yeah. Um, the look, the look. Like, to me, Iron Dictionary. Maiden is like heavy metal. You know, like with those cutting guitars and they they kind of surpass that like rock and roll uh and not just with speed, just the way that they're approaching the songs. Yeah. Um, which I think Van Halen, you know, influenced besides just every guitar player that wanted to be a guitar player in the first place because of listening to Eddie Van Halen. Um but um that sound that that he got, you know, on the intro of uh of Unchained, it's like it's, it doesn't sound like anything else. And by the time they got to Diver Down, they were already kind of falling apart because of egos, this, that, and the other. And then they played the Us Festival, 1983. They headlined. I think they got paid like a million dollars to show up, which was unheard of at the time. That and was, he wouldn't you know, even sing or something. The big show at, uh, Steve Wozniak put on. He it did, was yeah. like It was like one of the biggest like festivals in America— Um, post, you know, whatever you want to say, Woodstock, Altamont. They had, like, California Jam out here in 74, which Sabbath, that was, like, Black Sabbath and Earth, Wind and Fire, the Eagles, all these bands played, um, Rare Earth. But the Us Festival, and there's footage of it, and I remember listening to it on KMET. Like, they had a live broadcast of it. Um, And I don't know if... I know there was a handful of shows back then. This is 1983, that you were gonna go to, it might you might have been able to go to the US festival, but of course, mom and dad want to let you go. Um, but they come out and they open up with uh, Romeo Delight. That's you know on um, that's Women and Children. That's the end. Yeah, the, the last song on the first side of uh, Women and Children first. And the whole fucking crowd's going ape shit. It's probably like I don't know, maybe three hundred thousand people. They get into the song and they're playing, you know, and Daily Rock does his toe touch jump. And then they gets to a part where he's mumbling, not singing, and then he just screams out, I forgot the fucking words, and everyone just goes <laughs> crazy. And they're just such a powerhouse. And it's like, it's just the epitome of like hedonistic, like... Like, whatever, right now, you know, everyone's talking about how crazy Motley Crue was and how they partied harder than Led Zeppelin, this, that, and the other. But, and I liked Motley Crue, but they only, to me, Motley Crue only has one good album, and it's not even that great. Like, Van Halen was Did you the watch fucking, The Dirt? I tried to. It was awful. Um, Van Halen is, like, the fucking, like, they took what, they took off where Led Zeppelin left off, and even made them look bad, mm-hmm. in my opinion. Because they were just like, you know, whatever, like I've seen Song Remains the Same and like Jimmy Page is playing some fucking sloppy ass guitar, you know? <laughs> and then one thing that I didn't like about listening to a lot of live Led Zeppelin, and don't get me wrong, I love Led Zeppelin. That's they're they're a part of my fabric. But they're live shows where it's just like, I want to hear the song. I don't want to just hear this improv, these long jams, if you're not going to, like, give it to me. And Van Halen was just like, hey, we'll just play our songs. And they were like a fucking just this steamroller that I couldn't even imagine being in. an. I felt like that when we saw them at, at Staples. It was like like I felt like this was just taking me over. Yeah. Not everybody can do that shit. You know, it's like you have fucking four motherfuckers on the stage that are just going to annihilate you and leave you with your do- your jaw dropped, you know, to the ground. And then walk away like like nothing.
1: Like you're welcome.
0: Yeah, it's crazy. And that this was Like whatever
1: the whatever the price of admission is for this band it didn't if it was a 3 dollar show back in the day if it was a fucking 300 dollar ticket in the 2000s it's like you go and you see this band like i don't care if you own if you only own 1984 for for the song jump um you know cuz that's the thing that really that's what brought in the the casual listener to their catalog was you know the the song Jump, where everybody... I mean, everywhere you went, people were like, our next-door neighbor's cover band was playing that in the garage. Yeah, like, Jump it, transcended every genre. Like, I think even Mom would admit to liking Mom that song. Mom had that
0: album. <laughs> yeah. Well, and that's the thing. Like, so, so you know, at this point, they're on top of the world, Us Festival. They did Diver Down, and a lot of that was Dave's idea to do, like, Dancing in the Street, which is a Martha and the Bandela song. Their version is pretty fucking awesome. Uh, pretty woman, I think is great. They were unhappy because they were just like, what are we fucking doing? Like, we're gonna listen to this asshole now. And he's like, all super ego, there's infighting, there's, you know, you have all these big personalities, and deservedly so they're having this infighting because there's that much fucking talent. But to think that they almost didn't make it At one point, Eddie Van... Then this is when Kiss was having trouble. They had just lost um, Eric Carr. Or no, they just got Eric Carr. They lost Peter Criss a few years before, 1980. And then Ace Fraley was leaving. They were putting out Creatures of the Night, which was their last album with makeup, before they got Benny Vincent. And supposedly, because Eddie Van Halen still had that, like... Um, relationship with Gene Simmons, mm. he asked to join KISS because he was so unhappy with Van Halen. Can you imagine? That would have been fucking... <laughs> um, and maybe he was doing a little, you know, fucking too much blow too at that point. I don't know. Maybe Valerie Bernali was... Can you imagine... You know, that would have been awful.
1: Eddie in KISS? Awful. But anyways... Can you imagine just picture Lick It Up? And then that's Eddie instead of. That's fucking stick him up.
0: (laughs) So, yeah, no, it wasn't even Lick It Up. That would have been Creatures of the Night. So, he would have had like a makeup design. Like, can you imagine? He would have been the cat. Who was the cat? The cat was Peter Chris.
1: No, but oh, and the fox. Who was the fox? That was Eric Carr. That was Peter Chris's replacement. And then, who was the. Before Vinnie Vincent, there was another guitar player, wasn't there? Ace Frehley. No, no, no. I thought there was three guitar players total. No, 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 no. There's five, but in makeup, it was just Benny Vincent
0: was the last new makeup uh Oh, okay. And he's, he passed away. Benny Vincent? Didn't he? No.
1: One of, oh, Eric Carr passed Eric away. Eric Carr is
0: dead. Now, Benny Vincent is fucking lost alive? his goddamn mind. He looks like a little fat lady. An old lady. And he's doing some show. He's doing some show. He's already canceled it like three times. He's doing a show at an SIR studio. Only sixty people allowed in, three hundred dollars a ticket, just to hear him do an eighteen minute guitar guitar solo. I like him as a guitar player. But I would
1: off <laughs> I would rather go what was that what was that hologram you're talking about? Who's doing the hologram? Dio. Show? Oh yeah. The Dio hologram show. I would be in line for the Dio hologram show before I went to see Vinnie Vincent perform a solo eighteen minute, whatever. Yeah. But I I thought he was a good guitar player. I liked him um but anyway no, but back to
0: so this I'm just band. talking about thank god that that didn't happen for one thing but that they kept it together to make the 1984 album because even that album you got you know whether it's played out or not it's like hot for teacher panama and jump and also um there's one more hit on there is it i'll wait i'll wait
1: tell you love- but is that the name of the song? I don't know. I was listening to it earlier. Um, 1984 has Top Jimmy, Hot for Teacher. Top Jimmy's
0: a good song, All too.
1: Wait, Girl Gone Bad, Jump. All yeah. Wait, yeah. It's, it's definitely All Wait, because it's Panama, Jump. But and even, Drop Dead Legs was, nah, not quite a hit,
0: but... Yeah. Even with, um, so with, like, Jump, like, and I remember being a kid, and mm-hmm. I liked heavy metal, but I loved that song. And it was so... And yeah, whatever, New Wave's happening, and, you know, at this point, he had already, I think Eddie Van Halen already did the guitar solo for Beat It, um, which apparently he... I think he fucked up and he doesn't, like, have any royalties or points on that. And he even kind of laughs. It was like, man, I I did it for free. But thats it seems like that's the kind of guy that he was maybe back then where, like, even, like, wanting to join KISS and, like, just, you know, whatever. He he turned into a bit of a monster later, which, you know, at a certain point, a talent that's that big, it's like, you got to give people some space because
1: the world needs him. There's a... There's a talent um, manager person that I worked with a couple years ago. Mm-hmm. She worked for him. She was his. She was Wolfgang's babysitter. Mm. And she spoke, ex- you know, because I when I found out about that, I almost like fell over in my chair. I was like, are but, you kidding me? That I found out she worked for Eddie um, and Valerie before they split up or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I was like, are you fucking kidding? I was like freaking out. And she was like, are you a fan? I'm like, was like the biggest band to me in the world. And she said he was super easy, super nice. You know, obviously, she's in a personal situation with him. It's not a professional thing. But he seemed like a really, like, just down-to-earth regular dude that just was a phenomenal musician. Like, you know, like. But that, but. Like, like, Dave seemed more of an asshole than Eddie. He seemed like he was probably cool. Than Eddie could ever be. But, I mean, at his height. He's
0: also, you got to think, too, like, to me, like, when a personality is that big as extroverted with, like, a David Lee Roth, it's like, there's a deep down vulnerability and, um, uh, what's it called? Uh, I don't want to say shyness, but maybe to a degree. But there's a, like... Social anxiety, there's, there's no an self-esteem, insecurity. That's the word I'm looking There's
1: for. an insecurity, definitely. And they they
0: project up and yeah, yeah, make this bravado. But but still, it doesn't matter because he was he was born to be on the stage. Yeah. But getting back to like the song "Jump" and how prevalent it was everywhere. Where in in that time, like there was already flock of seagulls. There was all these. There's new wave. Um, But just, again, it was like them, and not pushing the limits, not thinking outside the box, just still innovating, like sounds, like sonically from Van Halen 1 to 1984, and everything in between, there's just this innovation of what can be done with sound that they did. And I think that was kind of their secret key to how they connected to everybody, you know? Because when you have a guitar player that's making fucking people that aren't guitar players want to be guitar players, like, that's saying something, you know? Like, I don't think that fucking there was people out there, like, watching Buddy Rich play the drums and being so blown away. Maybe they were, but it didn't necessarily want to make people get up and play the drums. This motherfucker made, I don't know how many people
1: pick up a guitar. I'm sure there's there's got to be some kind of, like, data somewhere. Where, where where guitar sales spiked after his probably after videos of him came out, not just the album, but yeah. the videos. They're probably like not just his replica. I mean, like just guitar sales in general. Oh yeah, probably of was like and and it was probably those like those beginner guitar kits. Like you know, your parents just get you the amp, the guitar, or the stand. Your, the one that I got that was from Sears catalog, and it was because in the Sears
0: catalog, they, and it was always like a Dean Markley and Sears and it had it was a little mini and it had the fucking i wish i still had it the red guitar with white the stripes white tape, and i was the like white tape replica that's what i
1: want yeah and i had it and i have anyway. a i have a picture of you with it with it that i posted like a couple weeks ago oh great and i was like i was like <laughs> i don't i was like cuz there's this thing called throwback thursday and oh, i was okay. like it wasn't even thursday mall. all <laughs> It's not even Thursday. Following the fucking I don't follow the fucking social media rules. I'm sorry, but it was like I just found that photo and I just fucking couldn't stop laughing because it's me with the blue guitar and you standing next to me with the Eddie Van Halen replica. And I was like, I don't care if it's (laughs) fucking Thursday or not. This shit's fucking hilarious. (laughs) Throwing it back now. (laughs) Oh, but yeah, I remember the the everybody want like I and. Everybody always wants to be the guitar player, and I'm sure it was in phases. Like you know, Jimmy Page probably influenced people to be, and it was harder to find bass players. It was always people looking for bass players. You well, can you know never how many bass find our our bass our guitar
0: players first who play bass by default. <laughs> I mean, Noel Redding is yeah. a guitar player. You know, played with one of the best guitar. What are you going to do? You're going to play guitar with Jimmy with Hendrix? Jimmy Hendrix? Get the fucking bass and <laughs> shut up. <laughs> like go pick up the four string thick strings and just be quiet over there. You know one thing I was thinking of too and this has this is maybe linear as far as time but when I'm thinking again of the time 1978 77 him creating him being Eddie Van Halen creating a different type of sound with his guitar. It made me think of Daniel Ash from Bauhaus, where at the same time, Bauhaus is making records and starting up, and there's even quotes of Daniel Ash saying that he his approach to guitar was like, he doesn't even want it to sound like a guitar. And when you listen to their music, it's like he gets some fucking amazing <clears throat> sounds where maybe there's even times where you listen to, like, early, ba- like, whatever, it doesn't, just the, the first couple Bauhaus records, and even, like, uh, what's Loving it called? The, no, 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 the, the Sky's Gone Out. Not the Sky's Gone Out. Burning from the Inside, mm. the last Bauhaus record. You would think that they had a keyboard player. Yeah. You know, but it's because he is, and he used to play t- uh, Telecasters, crank everything up super high, but it was this, like, buzzsaw, like, just, it worked, and... I see similarities in that sonically with there has to be some kind of approach with Eddie Van Halen kind of just maybe he just looked at that guitar once he fucking knew everything about it and then was just like, okay well, what am I going to do now? Am I going to play faster? I don't need to do that. I don't need to learn any more scales. Let's fuck with the sound and then created his sound, where it's like, yeah, you listen to, remember how excited we were when we, I don't even know how we heard about that, but we heard that Eddie Van Halen was going to be on the new Michael Jackson song, playing yeah. a guitar solo. Like, we already knew that was crazy, and then you listen. I think it was, uh, how can you not? I think it was Circus or Hip Parader. it could have been, yeah. It was a
1: magazine. And it was thing. like,
0: you listen to it, and it's like, yeah, that's fucking him. Yeah. It's crazy.
1: Yeah, that was Beat It, right? hmm Yeah. Cause he used Slash for another song, another guitar.
0: Michael Jackson.
1: Yeah, Slash played. Oh, that's... Slash played, but it I'm just saying he the same time. he had like the no 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 not even close to the same time. I'm just saying he had that like he knew who to go get. Mm. He knew like when when Eddie was hot, he knew who to grab him, and then when he when Guns and Roses was hot, he knew to go get Slash. Like that dude, just you know, musically not personally, but musically, he just had his finger on. The pulse of everything. Um, the, the the drummer, Alex, Alex Van Halen, his, his drumming, I don't know if it's... Because did he always start with the double bass? Was he the he, first I one? Think, I think he had it when they were playing like backyard parties.
0: There's like pictures of them playing at like Pasadena, uh, not City College, but they would always play somewhere, mm-hmm. kind of like that flyer. And it was like double kick. Who's who was
1: doing double bass before?
0: Well, Ginger Baker is one of the earliest double kick. So players. cream. Yeah, and that was way back. But back then, like yeah, you had like Ginger Baker, like Carmine Appice um, or a piece, however, whatever you want to call him, when he was playing with Cactus, and um, you know there was a lot of double bass drum. Uh, I just I didn't I wasn't Les really Binx, aware
1: how how prevalent it was. Les Binks
0: was the drummer for Judas Priest in a couple records, Stain Class, that's one of my favorite Judas Priest records. And the first song on that, um, Exciter, it's like, it's kind of one of the earliest signs of speed metal. Mm. And it just starts <clears> off <throat> and it's just fucking double kick. Yeah. And he used to play in like a kind of proggy band, not prog, but like head rock called Trapeze, way back in the like late 60s. But um, Carmine Apice, too, on the first Cactus record, there is the recorded, like, the fastest shuffle mm-hmm. of, like, kick drum. Like, basically what you would hear on Hot to Teacher. I was going say the teacher.
1: beginning of Hot for Teacher. Yeah. That just... It sounds like an engine. Mm-hmm. It sounds like a... Like Remember a hot, when
0: we saw them do it live? It was just like, what yeah. the fuck like, is going how on? How can you do that? Like, he's...
1: I don't even get an eight ball, and you sit down with fucking four bass drums. I don't know if he's heralded as one of the best drummers in the world. You because know what? I, I always feel like he gets talked, it gets he's pushed overshadowed. aside. He's overshadowed. How but could you not? By his brother, of course. But I mean, in just the drum world, no, just drum, drum just in world, the drum
0: world, I feel like he should be way up there. He's still not like you know, and it's because. But the, that's the thing is like he's not a flashy drummer. You know, to me, his signature is that snare drum sound and playing what the song needs. But at the same time, he fucking rips like within the song. Now, he's done solos. And I don't know, to me, like, I'd rather I'd rather fucking watch like Hallmark television (laughs) for fucking 24 hours straight than watch another goddamn drum solo. And I'm a drummer. I mean, unless we're talking about jazz drum solos, that's totally different because those are musical. But a drum solo where it's just fucking like that's the time to you're really
1: talking work. like the Neil Pert John Bonham Any solos drum solo. like but yeah, I'm saying those are the guys who, who went to the hilt with it like they took it to a level where yeah. it's like come on man I don't need 15 minutes of this the shit the only other the only people that like that are the guys in the other band so that
0: they can go like get yeah. blowjobs or oh. do blow or go to the bathroom so we're gonna
1: take a 20 minute break
0: yeah it's John like, Bonham go, go and
1: fucking try to yeah. get himself a heart attack.
0: It's like, you know, they're up there, Jimmy Page like, oh, the fucking gong's on fire? i right, I'm gonna go fucking fix and uh, get a banana fucking daiquiri while this dumb motherfucker's doing, you know.
1: Like, no one gives a shit about that. I mean, like... If you're in the audience and you're just like on acid and you're just like John Bonham is going to do 10 15 yeah, minutes maybe then. of fucking drum solo like what is happening to your fuck what's happening talking right about now? acid you remember <laughs>
0: Steve I forget his last name he used to work at Standard Graphics he was always in the in the back I think art department big guy Yeah the guy that used to lift weights yeah, yeah. he would just eat a fucking box of white rice that's why I learned the 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 allure of just <sighs> the white rice from that motherfucker. White Rise of bananas. But this guy was like, you know, total, like, he had like a mustache. He looked like a fucking porn star. He did. Fucking all fucking ripped. And he never talked that much. He always seemed he really quiet. nice, but at the same time, he looked like he would fucking choke you with one hand. Like, Peter he looked Grant like, style, a, he
1: looked like a cop gone bad. He looked like Bad Lieutenant, he the OG like Bad, bad, <laughs> bad Lieutenant Steve. <laughs> That
0: Lieutenant's but anyways, me. I remember one time we were talking about music and he said that he went and saw Led Zeppelin at Madison Square Garden oh, on acid. Sh- yeah, I was like, I was just like 70. It was so weird just thinking like, I couldn't even imagine this guy doing acid. But then after he told me that, I'm like, I think he's
1: on acid right <laughs> now. He is the residuals of what happens to you on acid. That's probably why he's so goddamn he's like, quiet. Oh man, I'm hearing so many voices. I'm just going to keep my mouth shut.
0: Yeah. <laughs> but it was just funny. It made me like from then on whenever I watch Song Remains the Same, which I'll I'll revisit it at least even for the intro cuz I mean just the first like when like that movie when they're getting to the show, they're in New York, they're getting in their limos. And then you see like Madison Square Garden just waiting for them. And then when they fucking hit the lights, and it's the shot from behind the stage, you just see John Bonham. They they open up with rock and roll, and then it's just the fucking crowd. And then you just, if you look close enough, you just see people throwing fucking joints on the yeah. stage, throwing, throwing joints and flowers. But every time I see that, I think of like Steve
1: out there on acid. And that that film makes that show look so intimate. Madison Square Garden is not a small place. Like I've worked and that, there. That's
0: also when it was fucking festival seating. There yeah. was no seats on yeah. the ground. It was
1: just open. And it looks so it fits so many more people. It looks like they brought Led Zeppelin into your living room. And then you just got to sit around them. And not just that like amazing the stage.
0: There's nothing to the stage. Yeah,
1: it's a there's flat. a
0: mirror behind them and that's it. Yeah. It's and a low
1: amplifier. A low flat stage with super stark spotlights that came down on you know when Robert Plant's hair is like draped over him and he's yeah. in a blue blouse. and fucking Jimmy Page is dressed up like a little fucking lady dragon <laughs> running
0: around. <laughs> he thinks he is a lady dragon. Him and his Aleister Crowley upset But that's the thing that's fucked up more now because everything's so PC and soft and oh, well, it took, you know... I mean, there's been historic like The Who, I think, 1979 at Riverfront Coliseum in Cincinnati. Somebody died. They died trying to get into the concert because they're fucking idiots and didn't know there was more than one entrance and got crushed but um the fact that people are so fucking stupid where there can't be that arena seating or uh festival seating anymore where it's just an open floor like i remember watching uh acdc we we rented uh let there be rock and you see the beginning of the movie and they open the doors and you just see everyone fucking running to the front of the stage, you yeah. know? It's like that can't be anymore because people are stupid. There's a Ted Nugent show Even where the Palladium that should be that
1: way has that five barricade. foot gap. Like it's a barricade. fucking like it's a moat, and you can't get anywhere near the stage anymore. Like I really want
0: to go up and fucking—I can't wait to touch fucking uh, Julian Casablancas' and, leg. Like and, give me a
1: fucking break. But we'll when we, when I was going to Palladium, you can, you're, you could stand right at the edge of the stage. You yeah, can they already jump. started that barricade by the time I went. You can jump on the stage to do stage dives. It was easy to do stage dives. The '80s was like stage dive galore because you can walk right up. Get up onto the stage and jump off, and now you can't even get to the barricade without you know, like but if you're at the well, show that's two what hours before
0: is <laughs> when you're playing on those stages, yeah, there's just all these speak it's like you can't even see the people in the front. They're like fucking a mile away, so it's just so stupid. And it's like there's not rock stars the way that there used to be. I don't think anybody's worthy of that anyways. But like these big arena shows too, there was fucking the beginning of a Ted Nugent show. That motherfucker comes on the stage with a bow and arrow, (laughs) lights the arrow on fire, (laughs) shoots it across the fucking whole fucking floor, and it hits the bullseye on the other end and lights up. And then the show starts. (laughs) It's like, can you imagine being there and just being like, man, I might die at this. I paid to almost die in here with you guys that's fuck and they were just making this shit up like, you know, they're all fucking do another rail, Ted. What do you want to do? Well, I'm gonna come out with the bow and arrow and I'm gonna fucking light it on fire. But that they did that shit, it's like it's just it's just a time where like whatever. I'm I'm glad that I grew up when I grew up and I wouldn't I I don't I don't kinda secretly wish like I used to wish that I was, you know, born earlier to experience certain things. Which really, the thing that I wish that I can go back to is experience like jazz in New York in the fucking fifties, seeing like Bird and jazz and jazz um, in Paris, the beginning of bebop. That's what I would want yeah. to
1: be a part of. But anyways, like jazz, in, that would have been amazing. Me going back to to see jazz in Paris, that would that would be my like thing to go see. Um, and you know, it's funny because I was I always sometimes I'm like. I'm, there's a fun, there's a song, there's an LCD sound system song, mm-hmm. um, where he just talks about historical things in music and he's like, oh, I was there. And I, he's clearly, he wasn't there, but it's funny because he's like, you know, people are always like, oh, you know, I'm, you like this band. I saw them and you know, whatever. Yeah. Like everyone went to Woodstock. Right. And I'm like, i catch myself. Doing that to the younger generation of people, where they're like, you know, they, they might have a band T shirt on. I'm like, how can you even like, because because of Hot Topic, because Hot mm-hmm. Topic exists, because back in the day you can only get a T shirt from going to the show. There wasn't a store that sold fucking yeah. band T shirts, or
0: you would get them from the backs of magazines and
1: like mail order, or, mail, yeah, or the club. or an insert in an album. Like yeah. if you bought that album, there was a mail order catalog for that album's, mm-hmm. you know, catalog whatever. So. This song talks about like, oh, I was there when Cannes was rehearsing in Cologne, Germany. And it's like a funny song. It's a good song. But it's all about the new generation coming up on his heels. And he's like getting pushed out of what the current, Mm. you know, what the current genres of music, what's happening now with the new generations is like pushing you out. And every time I go to a show now, even if I go see your show, even if I go to one of your shows and, you know, I film, I film you guys. I like to stand in the very back now. Before I used to want to be right up front and now I want to stand in the very back. I want to stand all the way back. I want to I want to see the act as a whole, you know, like almost like a theatrical kind mm-hmm. of a thing. Like I want to see everything that's happening. I want I start to I start to pay attention to nuances within the bands and I don't get to do that cuz I don't go to a lot of shows anymore. I don't go to even the bands I want to go see, I still keep up with you know, current music and stuff, and I want to go see these bands, but everyone wants to go to the front. And like now, and like I have a, I kind of have like you know a, uh, a, a hookup here and there. And like if I go to the Palladium, I can get up to the top section. And now I, I'm happy. I'm happy being up at the top section on the side, and I can I can just have this overall take of everything that's happening. And every time I see one of these shows, and Some of the bands will will come out and be like, man, put your fucking phones away. Just be here and enjoy this moment. Like, be here with us. Don't, Mm -hmm. you know, everyone's looking through their screen on their phone. They're in the physical place, but they're looking at it through their phone screen. They're not Mm -hmm. even looking at the person standing in front of them. Mm -hmm. And like this band, I went to see LCD Sound System at the Palladium a couple years ago, or I think it was a year ago, and he stopped the show. He comes out and he's like, This is it. This song, bring all your fucking phones out and do whatever you want to do. But after this song's over, I don't want to see one fucking phone, or I'm gonna stop the show. And it's like it kind of takes balls to do that as a performer now because you're gonna piss your own fan base off. You know what I mean? But I can I don't know. I'm not on stage. I don't perform music. I don't see what you see when you're looking out at the crowd. But if you're looking out at the crowd and Everyone's just holding a camera at you. Are you playing to the people that stand there are you playing to the little lenses that's pointed at you? know what I mean? Like it's like I almost want to like do a conceptual video about this, like, you know, for a song. Like like you're not even performing for this room anymore, whatever the capacity of the room is, you know, if it's the palladium, if it's Madison Square Garden, like these bands didn't have to do that. They didn't have to compete with whatever these new bands are competing for. So this new, like, this new, you know, like, if you went to go see Eddie Van Halen, you're not going to be looking at a screen. You're not going to be looking at anything but what the fuck this motherfucker is doing mm-hmm. with this guitar. Whether you want to play guitar or you're just, like, blown away by what's happening to him. You want, you know, Black Sabbath, even fucking Kiss with the with the fireworks and their costumes yeah. and everything. It's like these guys put this whole thing together. They come out onto this stage and they just gave you everything that, you know, I'm, sp- I'm talking about specifically this band, like Van Halen. Like I don't see a Van Halen happening now. Cause you were talking about like, there's no more rock stars anymore. Yeah, and
0: it's it is not Greta Van Fleet, fucking whatever the fuck that is, or what's <gasps> that band the? There's another band. They're called the something's.
1: I heard about the Greta Van whatever, That's and I awful. and I heard, I heard a song by theirs, and they're just straight ripping off Led Zeppelin. And then there was an interview with the kids saying that they've never heard le- or they don't listen to them. I'm like, yeah, fuck you, motherfucker. But what's that other you band? You fucking copied everything Led Zeppelin. It's a
0: band and it's their name is kind of like The Strokes, but it's it's a the something. And they're another band that's supposed to be, oh yeah, they're fucking rock and roll. And it's like, they're fucking awful. I don't know. Well, that's a good thing. <laughs> but a good thing. what you're saying, I, I, I agree. But I can't, deny the fact of like thinking of it in the context where it's just overkill but like imagine if no one filmed uh, Jimi Hendrix at Monterey like and seeing that burning the guitar like it's just etched in like fucking the fabric of you know rock and roll forever if no one filmed the Woodstock concert if no one you know what I mean there's all these things mind you yeah It wasn't everybody filming it there's just one thing kind of that's happening but also the what they captured at those things was like there's nothing that's even worthy of being captured like that anymore i think that's what it is and i think that a lot of the acts will either have that approach of like oh, don't film or whatever because it's bothering us or it's whatever, just pay attention to what we're actually doing now. Don't look for, it's. you're never going to get Jimi Hendrix playing the fu- burning guitar. That's already happened, so don't try to do that. Um, it's, just appreciate what's going on now. But another thing, like how you're talking about a Van Halen being on stage, having that much power, it's that does anybody that's on the stage have that approach anymore where they're going to go after the audience? It seems like a lot of the bigger acts are just so grateful to be there that they're just like, let's just keep everybody happy, guys. You know what I mean? Like for me, like for every time I've ever played in any band um, at, at, at any level, when I go up on the stage, and this is just me personally, I'm not speaking for any of the bands I've ever played with, it's like, I'm going out to destroy everyone that's out there. Like, I'm coming after your fucking head." And sometimes certain bands that I've been in, the audiences can <coughs> feel that energy because it's like we're attacking, you know, It's like how punk rock used to be. Like you, you see some of that early black flag, black flag footage, and it's like it's like us against them. But then again, we have that footage to watch. I, I think it's been yeah, overkill though. I don't I know what think, you're saying. I don't cuz
1: that's just one cameraman. That's I don't docu- think that the footage is what I'm talking about like the fact that they well, even mean. took footage. What I'm saying is you knew that there was a crew there. There's a, there's always a crew. There's yeah. a sound crew, there's a lighting crew, there's a working crew that the band is aware of. But that's not who they're there to play for. And what I'm saying now is now the entire audience is a cameraman. You're literally yeah. just playing to a digital world where you're not like no one's you know, and I don't know if it's in America only. I don't know, you just played in Germany and There was no phones like that. There was no film So so they, they were, were actually at, just like, Hey, we're here in the moment, like There's a lot of bands that talk about being in other countries and they're like, Oh, the fans are so much better over there and that's what I was just gonna say. Like yeah. you just came from Germany and Spain and what was the the presence was it? Was it like the old way? Like they just yeah, were there they to see fucking you pay play.
0: attention to a band. They're there because they're there to see live music. They're not there to watch to like some people. You know, it's like they're just more like like they're fucking posting that shit on Instagram
1: as it's happening. Right. So like the last like, the last show that I recorded of you playing at that Casey's Pub, mm-hmm. Casey's Irish Pub, during me filming. Yeah, I go back and I look at the the footage. I see a phone in every shot. There's a phone mm-hmm. screen. My camera is trying to focus on the band and then the phone screen goes in front and then it's trying to refocus. And I'm like, and I'm like, why is everyone every second? It's not just it's not one person doing it every second, but at every second there is a phone out pointed at you guys. Mm-hmm. There's not a, there's not like a oh, okay, we've already done our posting. We've already done everyone knows we're here. Everyone knows everyone that knows me knows I'm at this fucking show. Yeah, so anyway, I was just getting... I was just saying that, like, the chicken and the egg, like, could a band like this even exist now in the current... You know, maybe they're a band from another country. Maybe they're a band that just comes... You know, like... Like uh, uh, an original band that is playing to play, not playing to the million cameras that are in the audience... And it just makes me miss the old the old times before cell phones even existed. Like I went to hundreds of shows without a cell phone. I mean, half of those shows I didn't even have a goddamn shirt on. It was like...
0: Well, yeah, because they didn't exist
1: <laughs> in the fucking 40s. And, you know, we were in the pit. We were in... There's a, there's a, there's a few things where, like... And I, I find myself on YouTube searching for footage of shows I've been to. Like mm-hmm. I want to see some of the shows I was at because I was either inebriated or I was in the pit the whole time and I didn't actually pay well, attention. Back then, it would have had to be someone with a big ass
0: camera, and that's just it. <laughs> Is it some of that stuff does exist? No, there. Like I've seen some. Sh- I've seen some. Like I saw footage of Slayer playing at the Olympic from yeah. someone that's just filming it, and it's fucking totally insane. But um. But yeah, back then it wasn't, you know, but that's, that's just it. It's like, there's this sense of wonder from what happened back then. And if you dig, like how you found that flyer, like you see flyers and then even if you don't see flyers of shows that you went to, when you do, it's cool. But then just seeing them and it's like, oh, they played with this band and they played at this place. And it, it just makes it more real, especially when it's, you know, obviously bands that have old flyers, that isn't when they were playing at the fucking forum. You don't yeah. make a flyer for fucking. Oh yeah, we're playing the Coliseum next week. You guys want to come? <laughs> fucking ten bucks. Like, you know what I mean. So it's yeah. like it makes it more. But then there's that sense of wonder and that sense of like, where now it's like, even the fucking flyer is on the phone.
1: Well, well, even and it uh, has to dance around. You know what I mean. Well, even Coachella. If you don't go to Coachella, it's live streamed. Yeah. It's they're live Why streamed. Would, so, I don't
0: even know why Coachella isn't even what it used to be it's not even a fucking rock festival anymore.
1: it's an Instagram like, what is it it's an Instagram Beyonce played at Coachella before it's like it's an Instagram the gallery to, to go take your phone yeah I'm sorry yeah
0: um but thinking about like Van Halen and their catalog and they I'm sure early on they probably had some jitters when they first started playing big places but It probably didn't take them that long to even know themselves. Like, yeah, we're fucking better than everybody. And we're just going to go out and fucking annihilate. And everything that comes along with that, with fame and, you know, maybe a little bit of money. They probably didn't make much money to begin with. They're doing drugs. You know, it's the fucking end of the 70s, going to the 80s. That they managed to stay the band that they were for as long as they were. And I'm looking at it right here. Like, they put out... Van Halen, 1978. Van Halen 2, 1979. Women and Children First, 1980. Fair Warning, 1981. Diver Down, 1982. 1984 came out in 1984. So you have what? Like seven years? 70, 78, 79, 80, 81, 82, 83, 84. In fucking... I can't count. Is that seven or eight? Seven. In seven years, they put out... Six albums that are all fucking uh, classic in their own right were fucking touring, getting better every time, and still continuing to innovate. It's not like the fucking first Radiohead album to the last one and everything in between was just all this amazing shit and whatever. I'm just, I'm kind of shitting on Radiohead right now. I'm just, but what I'm trying to get at is like, Bands don't. Bands can't even fucking put out, you know, three good records anymore, let alone seven or, you know, in that many years. Like, every year they're putting out these fucking... They were putting out records and touring and, like... And not just that they're putting out records. Again, innovating. They're, like, setting their watermark higher and higher every time and being better than fucking you. So it's like, that to me is what makes them so special um and there's not that many bands that are like that and and that can be said like about that you know and that's why to me like it's the chapter like i don't even consider like acdc with Bon scott and brian johnson that's still acdc van halen 5150 everything after that with sammy hagar that ain't van
1: halen sorry no the van hagar years were awful and even got worse when they had that other singer. They brought that other guy in. Yeah, they, sh- the they guy probably f- shouldn't even have done that record. The guy from um, Extreme. Yeah. Like was- First of all, you hired the guy from Extreme. Extreme shouldn't have even have been a band in the first place. And you've got... There's a song on 5150 that I'm okay with. <laughs> mhm. It's not a bad song. It's Sammy Hagar singing. It's not a bad song. I can't remember the name of it right now, but it was like a big... there was their big one with him, and they had the video for it and everything. And it's like, I can listen to it. Mm. You know, I never bought 5150. Oh, no. But oh, no. when they came out with the guy... That, when Sammy Hagar left, and they brought the guy in from Extreme, that was just trash. It was like, why would you put your name to this? I remember being a kid, and... Like when I remember
0: 5150 coming out, and that might even have came out the next year, too. Might have came out in '85. I don't know. Came um, out,
1: it came out in '85.
0: Yeah, and they're still putting record out every year. You know, even oh, new singer. Okay, let's just keep working. Um, I think it was called but Dreams. I remember happened. to me, even to me, and like I loved Van Halen back then. Like I was what, fucking nine, 10 years old. It wasn't like I had this, like, oh, I'm a fucking music snob or whatever. But I remember, too, just seeing 5150 and being like, that ain't fucking Van Halen. Like, David Lee Roth's not in it? Then I don't want it, you know? Um, But anyways, so what do you, what would you, oh, go ahead. Oh, no, it was Right Now. That's not on
1: 5150. No, is. it's on OU812. But yeah, it's, yeah. But it's no, Sammy like Higgins.
0: song's H- they use that song for the fucking
1: Pepsi commercial. But it's Sammy Hagar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's what I'm saying. I'm like, there's one song
0: that I was okay with. That was, a, to me, it's forever attached to Crystal Clear Pepsi. Was it? Yeah. Oh, I don't remember. And so much that even Saturday Night Live did a skit where it was like Crystal Gravy, <laughs> and they used the song, <laughs> and it was
1: it's like and I
0: remember I'll, drinking that soda, and it was I was so excited about it. And it's I it have forgiveness good. for that it was song. was like the Zima of yeah. fucking soda.
1: Oh, Pepsi Free or Pepsi Clear?
0: Not Pepsi Free. Pepsi, Pepsi Clear. Clear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was like drinking it Diet Rite. Sprite. Right. It was a Sprite looking it soda. It's just that they didn't add food coloring, but still, it was like yeah, it wasn't good. It tasted like chemicals.
1: Um, so we're gonna, you know, what we normally do at the end is we do a rating, uh, and we're gonna, even though we talked about all their records, uh, we're gonna rate the Van Halen one, very first record, the debut album. Um, for a debut record it's still I still have my copy it's right here Um, for a debut record for my own personal opinion of things uh, it's it's got to be a 10 because this is the thing that got me hooked on heavy metal and hard rock in the first place Um, wanting to play music again you know the Eddie Van Halen uh trigger the you know what he what his influence on the entire you know population at the time to go out and buy guitars um the way you emulate you know what a guitar player does like the moves and all that stuff it's all it's all packed into this one album every single person is strong every single element is strong even with the two cover songs it's a 10 it's like hands down one of my you know one of my favorite things ever in the world that's ever been produced you
0: know you're talking about his guitar moves there's one move that I was never really fond of it's that little like he looks like like Mario from Donkey Kong with that little <laughs> it's silly and he like in whatever videos. whatever like him and Michael Anthony well I don't think any of them really like to me like had good style like it made sense that David Lee Rock dressed the way he did. By the, t- I mean he looks like fucking Madonna by Diver Down, where it's like, Jesus, what are you doing? wearing? Mesh tank tops and like, but whatever, he, whatever, man, you can't. He
1: you definitely know. dictated
0: the style for the other guys. I don't know because sometimes like, there's ones where Eddie Van Halen's wearing like, he's kind of hanging out with Michael Anthony too much. Like he's wearing <laughs> white, like kind of parachute pants with suspenders and doing his little. <laughs>
1: Like oh. jump? Oh wait, parachute pants. We bought those. Well, yeah, but those were different. Those weren't like the ones. The but ones I'm that saying is we bought those. Panadors. But we bought that because of hip hop. breakdancing. Well, break dancing. Break dancing. But every single heavy metal person wore those back in the day. I just remember breakdancers wearing them. But
0: I don't. I mean, I was a kid. I was like fucking eight or nine. I don't yeah. know what the. If if I ever looked like an asshole, that was his fucking fault. <laughs> Hey, man, wear this. Like that one time, remember you sprayed a whole... I used to play soccer, and as soon as I saw Rocky IV, I just wanted a fucking flat top. I had a flat top before. All my hairstyles were dictated by fucking, like, uh, movies. Like Arnold Schwarzenegger, when he's in Commando, I had a fucking butch wax, fucking small, little tight um, flat top. But then when Ivan Drago came out, I was obsessed, and so I wanted the big fucking high top uh, flat top this fool I'm getting ready to go play soccer and hey, let me do your hair <laughs> fucking sprays a half a bottle of Aquanet in my hair it's like a brick like straight pre-kid and play I go out and I play half my game there's no mirrors or anything by the time I get home I look my whole head is white because of the sweat that's just turned this <coughs> block of you pack. had a solid Aquanat.
1: sos pad fro with just sweaty, yeah, it was the worst. Thanks.
0: <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, you got a soccer game today? Well, let me do your fucking hair, <laughs> idiot. Anyways, um, so what was I saying? Oh, they're just their style, like I don't know, it was weird, but so for me, rating 10. It's it's a fucking 10. There's if it. It's actually an 11. I'm going to call Spinal Tap here. Spinal Tap. It's 11. Spinal Tap. It has old. like, because it's, and again, not a fan of the first one we did, but it's undeniable and it doesn't sound dated. I'm, I'm referencing uh, Nevermind by Nirvana. To me, this has those qualities where it's just, doesn't sound like 1978. Um, it will be, whether that matters or not, there's something to be said about Songs, albums that have multiple songs that will be played on the radio until it's dead, which this has, and just everything about it. Like it's, it sounds like. I love albums where it's kind of hard to pinpoint. Like you can't just say, oh, well, this just, sound, this is the first album that sounds like this. It, this almost seems like it just dropped, like it was a gift from the gods and was just like. Hey, you guys, are you tired of disco? Do you want to know what's coming in the future? Well, it's fucking called Van Halen.
1: Here you go. Yeah, absolutely. Ten. Eleven. Oh, yeah. Spinal that's tap Eleven. rules. We're going we're gonna to invoke a spinal tap rule whenever we want, and it's going to be because it goes to 11. Um, all right. Good? Yeah, that's it. Wrapping it up? Yep. Um, all right. Well, again, thank you for listening if you're still here (laughs) you know you're not